He's Pittsburgh born and we like him that way. What an incredible Cinderella story. This unknown comes out of nowhere. This is the Adam Crowley Show. Cinderella boy. On 970 ESPN and now on 106.3 FM. You found the Crowley Show. Where your mom listens, and you should too. 412-922-2874 is the number to call. Or you can join the cast of dozens. Follow me on Twitter, at underscore Adam Crowley. Brian LaMartina, not sitting across from me today. Probably sitting across from the toilet as he was all kinds of sick last night. Shirtless Tom behind the glass. Where Brian should be. Quarantine his ass. You can check Tom out on Twitter. At button pusher 970 Tell your kids. Tell your wife. We doing radio up in here. We do a somewhat sportsy show, usually. Sometimes we break into debates about whether or not seven-game series are always good when they go seven games. Sometimes we break into conversations about Oregon Trail or is chili a soup? Is soup a meal? Favorite cereals. But after the game, I get inundated with such nonsense that there's nothing I can do but talk football. So that's what we do today. I just gave you the number. I just gave you my Twitter.com account. John's been blowing me up. Loyal listener, sometimes we disagree. Hey, it's America, home of the free and the brave. He says, I think you're overestimating Bell's impact, Crowley. Connor's averaging 3.7 yards a carry. Bell averaged 3.9. All your perceptions sound great. Thank you. But aren't backed by data. Why don't you take this for data? First 31 carries for Le'Veon Bell, or pardon me, for James Connor this year. All came in the Browns game. He had 131 yards on the ground. That's 4.4 yards per carry. Browns didn't know what he had in the tank. He was fresh. Wasn't the bell cow. He's had almost as many carries since then. 32. 97 yards. 3.03 yards per carry. When other teams can key in on what James Conner is doing, he's easily shut down. Since they've gotten film on James Conner, James Conner has been not good in the running game. John went on to say their record would be the same with Bell. They wouldn't be able to have the patience with him running either. The D can't stop anyone. The problem is now they can't afford empty possessions. That fact would be the same with Bell. You are right that that would be the same thing in terms of the empty possessions and not being able to afford them. With Bell, though, I think that they'd have less empty possessions than they do with James Conner. Having good players matters. Le'Veon Bell's better than James Conner. That's why the Steelers wanted to pay the guy, because you win with good players. Nick tweets, why didn't you leave the studio and take over the offensive coordinator duties from Ben? I think you would not be any worse. That is incorrect. I don't know the terminology just yet. Once I got up to speed, though, I think I could take over. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Mike says, if Morgan Burnett wasn't this year's version of Ladarius Green, we wouldn't have to play Terrell Edmonds so much. You are correct about that. And I don't think the Steelers ever intended for Terrell Edmonds to have to play deep safety for them this year. But such is life in the National Football League. Now that he's out there, he needs to be better. He's not been good. 
You know who else hasn't been good for the defense? Well, everyone. But Cam Hayward and Stefan Tuitt absolutely have to be better. Where the hell have they been? What the hell are they doing? Zero sacks in last night's game between the two defensive ends. Zero tackles for loss in last night's game. They've combined for one sack in four games this season. I thought the two of them had a legit chance to combine for 20 sacks this year. Now, maybe that's an inflated prediction. Maybe I shouldn't have been that high on them, but Cam Hayward was an all-pro player last year. Cam Hayward had 12 sacks. Cam Hayward had the best year of his career getting after the quarterback, and I thought he was great stopping the run. The way that we saw Stefan Tuitt play in preseason game number three, the dress rehearsal, made me think, oh man, this son bitch is going to be playing good football this year. And we haven't seen it from either of them. They're not doing a great enough job stuffing the run. They're not doing a good enough job getting after the quarterback. And if you don't have those two horses playing well up front, everything else is going to suffer behind you. In a 3-4 defense, you need to hold up the offensive line so that the linebackers can go make plays. Well, in this version of the 3-4, they're actually given an opportunity to get upfield. They're playing one gap instead of two gap, and therefore you'd expect them to be able to get after the quarterback a little bit more, and you'd expect them to be able to play the run and route to the quarterback. They're not doing a good enough job of any of it. And I've had people in my mentions defending Cam Hayward saying he's getting double-teamed all the time. Yeah, well, you know what? He was getting double-teamed last year, too, and he still had 12 freaking sacks. If everyone else on the defense is going to stink, and that's basically what we're seeing so far, you need to get the best out of your leaders. Cam Hayward's that leader. Stephon Tewitt's getting paid to make those plays, and neither of them are doing it. Last night, the game plan turned from bringing heat a little bit in the early going to rushing four, rushing three, and trying to tackle the catch so you don't get big played over the top. When you're rushing four, in particular, you need Cam Hayward and Stefan Tuitt to win up front. You need them to win their one-on-one battles, and it's just not happening. If they would have been able to do that last night, then they had a much better chance to win the game. Didn't happen. They gave up 26 points. They lose. Back to Terrell Edmonds. You've got to get deeper than their gut. It really didn't get much more simple than that, dude. You got to get deeper than their guy. You got to be the deepest player on the football field. And there were a couple of times last night where it didn't happen. John Brown ran right across his face. Can't let that happen either. He's not good enough right now. Sean Davis has not been great either. I liked what we saw from him in game number one. Just been okay since then. John Bostic is what he is. He's not going to be a difference maker, but he is solid. He's not good in coverage, but he can go sideline to sideline fairly well, and he can stop the run coming downhill. I'm not liking what I'm seeing really anywhere else. Cam Sutton had to come in as the dime linebacker yesterday because they don't have any depth there. Nat Burhey goes down. Morgan Burnett, they're still waiting for him to get healthy and come in and help this team. They're going to need Ben Roethlisberger to make plays. They're going to need Ben Roethlisberger to take this team, pick it up, plop it right down on his back. And he's 36 years old, and he doesn't have a running game, so why the hell should we think that's going to happen? John Meese tweets, You're 100% correct about this. 
Watt, Tuit, Hayward, they're on a milk carton. T.J. Watt hasn't been good since game one. Bud Dupree hasn't been good since he killed Matt Moore in that playoff game a couple years ago. Defense is bad. They're going to give up 40 points next week. I'd be stunned if they don't against Atlanta. The second best offense they'll have faced thus far. And you think that Baltimore can scheme me to death? Think about what Atlanta can do scheme-wise when you've got Calvin Ridley, you Marvin Jones, or pardon me, Mohamed Sanu, former Bengals. You've got Julio Jones. It's going to have to be another shootout. And with the way the defense is playing, Ben Roethlisberger is going to have to be better. The worst part about last night was Joe Flacco after the game on NBC saying, I left some plays on the field, left some yards out there, left some points out there, and then doubling down in his post game, saying, there are times I've left Heinz Field thinking I played a good football game throwing for 150 yards because the defense was so good. Quote, it didn't have to be that hard today, end quote. Yikes. See, Tom Wilson was suspended. Penn's season starts on Thursday. Oh, thank God. I need some positive energy in my damn life. West Virginia is a really good football team, but none of you care about that, so I can't bring it up on the show. The Penguins, they're a good franchise, and I expect them to do well right out of the gate this year. That is some positivity interjected back into this fine radio program. Because right now it's all negative surrounding the Steelers, and my wife hates me. It's making things tough at home. Bringing the negative energy with me through my front door. My dog's like, what the hell is going on, man? But Tom Wilson killed Oscar Sundquist, puts a shoulder into his head, and then half a second later slashes another St. Louis blue. He had a hearing today in New York, which means he is going to face supplemental discipline. The question is, how long is he going to be out? I would be shocked if he plays against the Penguins. Sidney Crosby talked about it today. Talked about how good of a player Tom Wilson is. And threw some surprise out there that he hasn't learned anything yet. Where's that Homer Capitals media? Hey, where you at, Capitals media? I thought he was just a victim. Matt Cook always played the victim. I wasn't trying to do anything. It's just the rules of the league. Tom Wilson, the same thing. I play fast out there. I play hard. Oh, you're a buffoon. And he does a lot of good things, but he wipes it all away because he's not on the ice enough because he's either in the penalty box getting suspended. I feel a lot better about the Penguins, though, playing on Thursday night without Tom Wilson being out there to injure them. Yes. 412-922-2874. Coming up next, James Franklin took responsibility after the Penn State loss while also not taking responsibility. And the Steelers' offense starting slow. You want to talk about an identity? I think that might be this team's identity. It's a Crowley show. He may be a degenerate, but he's our degenerate. Nonsense. I've not yet begun to defile myself. The Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh.
Braden tweets at underscore Adam Crowley. I think you can talk more about WVU. You should talk more college football, especially UGA. But it helped Pittsburgh gives two bleeps, so I get it. Yeah, Pittsburgh doesn't care about West Virginia. They barely care about Pitt. They care a little bit about Penn State. We'll get to James Franklin in a second. Doug B is as good as Georgia, though. Because they beat Tennessee 40-14. to Beat them by 26 points. Georgia beat Tennessee by 26 points. Ipso facto, just as good. That checks out. Transitive property. That's sickening. Damn it, they're better than Georgia this year. They are. Suck on that, Braden. How about Penn State? Being up 13 points and then pooping down their leg. Last year they were up 18 points on the road! And they pooped down their leg. James Franklin says, We're a great program. We need to be an elite program. God, is he annoying. Just so everybody's crystal clear, we're a great program. Oh. We lost to an elite program. Oh. And we're that close. Oh. We have gotten comfortable being great. We will no longer be comfortable being great. We're going to learn from this, we're going to grow from this, and we're going to find a way to take that next step as a program because we've been knocking at the door long enough. And it's my job as the head coach, I'm ultimately responsible for all of it. Is the next step throwing it when it's fourth and five? I was just going to say, how about being comfortable on calling a pass play? I mean, that's all it is. And all it takes right there is, you might not get it, but at least give me the pass. This isn't a program failure, this was a coach failure. This isn't about going to class and turning B's into A's, which he also said in this press conference. This isn't about him being crazier than he's ever been before, which he also said he's going to do in this press conference. This is about calling a pass play on fourth and five. It's college football. Penn State's probably averaging seven and a half yards per play. Call a pass play. Put it in Trace McSorley's hands. That's all you got to do. Even if Trace McSorley runs the ball, at least give him an opportunity to make the play because, you know, he's the Heisman candidate. Even when you call a pass play with a quarterback like Trace McSorley, there's a 50 to 55% chance that he's going to end up running for the first down anyway. Give him the option. Yes. There are so many Penn State fans, Tom, right now that are buying into his BS. So many of them that are saying, oh, he said the right thing. You know why? It's because he sounds like he's a good coach. He's really good at that. Not always so good at being a good coach on game day. And what he did here, Penn State fans, you need to realize is he took responsibility for the program not being elite so that everyone starts talking about what they need to do to beat Ohio State in the long term. It didn't have to be about the long term. It had to be about the Saturday. It had to be about right then. And right then, the only thing that wasn't elite about Penn State's performance was that call. The rest of it's going to happen. You're going to get chunked by Ohio State. They're going to make plays on offense and on defense. Because next to Alabama, they're as talented as anybody else in the country. And they're always going to be as long as Urban Meyer's there. And even maybe if he's not. You've got to put your kids... And that's what they are, college kids, in a position to succeed. James Franklin didn't, and then he bloviates about how it's top-to-bottom execution of the program. Talked about his coaches needing to be better, too. He needed to be better. Period. And then he yells at a fan walking off the field who's chirping him. Fans chirping him in what was really a twilight zone. I love you, coach, but you got to make a better call there. 
And then after James Franklin tries to get back at him, right? He does the whole high school fight thing. Let me at him. Let me at him. Hold me back. The college kid then says, oh, no, you know, he's probably just stressed. I still love him. He's a great guy. Great coach. He's a great guy. I don't think James Franklin is a good guy. I think he's a slimy character. That guy bleeds green. He's just ooze. And he didn't take responsibility the way that I think he should have following the game. Make no mistake about it. We are a great program. He said as he looks up to the heavens. Shut the hell up. Let's see how he does without Trace McSorley. For real. A good coach. Good recruiter. Did more at Vanderbilt than anybody really in the history of Vanderbilt's program. I'd like to see what he can do at Penn State without Trace. Let's see how good of a coach he is then. 412-922-2874. Stan was on earlier today. You can catch him every day from noon until 2. Saverin on Sports ESPN Pittsburgh. And he said these Steelers don't have an identity. They don't know who they are. He's right. They don't know who they are. I know who they are, though. There are trends. I never want to start assigning trends to a football team until you've played a quarter of the season. Well, daddy, we're there. We're there. Steelers want to go three and one in every quarter. They went one, two, and one. That doesn't compute. That ain't good enough. Here's their identity as far as I'm concerned. Here's a trend that I've picked up. Their offense starts poorly and finishes poorly. In between, it's okay. But they start bad and they don't finish strong. First three possessions against Kansas City, the Steelers punted, and then they found themselves down 21-0. Not ideal. First drive last night was the McDonald turnover. Second drive started with a hold and then ended with a punt. And before you know it, it's 14 nothing Baltimore. Before you know it, you're looking up at the scoreboard and you start doing some math and it's 21 nothing against Jacksonville, 21 nothing against Kansas City, a 14 nothing here against Baltimore. And you realize that they've been behind 56 nothing in their last three home games that matter. You go back to the Cleveland game at the end of the season, who gives a rip? But the last three home games that matter, 56 points to nothing, they're being outscored before they start scoring some points. That's their identity. That's who they are. A team that starts terribly at home in big moments. Well, at least they finish strong, right? Oh, no, they don't. Against Tampa Bay, this one's a road game. They're up at the half, 30-10. to 10. They wind up winning 30-27. to 27. 24 of the points scored were offensive, and guess what? They didn't score a point in the second half. Yesterday, I said coming into the game, Baltimore had not given up a touchdown. They had not given up points in the second half. I thought, no, you know what, that's not going to hold. Steelers will find a way to put some points on the board. And when the Steelers tied at 14-14, had all the momentum, I thought, oh my God, they figured Baltimore out. Here we go. Nope. Steelers don't score a point in the second half. Steelers only get 47 yards in the second half. Steelers only possess the ball eight minutes in the second half. They could not finish the game for the second straight week. Then against Tampa, they are lucky that they got out of there with the win. They are lucky that they were spotted a bunch of turnovers 
by Fitzmagic, who's turned back into a pumpkin. He's not starting in week five, by the way. This is who the Steelers are now. They're inconsistent on offense, and the defense is bad enough, so bad, I suppose I should say, that anytime the offense isn't clicking at 30 points a game, they're going to probably lose. And had Cleveland had Baker Mayfield in game one, they probably would have lost that one instead of tied it. Their identity is that they need to be perfect on offense, and they're not perfect on offense. You know what that spells out to me? Say it with me, Pittsburgh. 7, 8, and 1. 7, 8, and 1. 8, 7, and 1, maybe. But this doesn't look like a playoff team to me. Ben needs to carry this team every week, and he can't do it every week. Only a few quarterbacks in the history of the game are able to elevate a defense like this and take it to the playoffs. Peyton Manning did it all the time in Indianapolis. Those were some bad defenses, but at least they could get after the quarterback rushing four if Peyton Manning got him a lead, which he often did. Drew Brees won the Super Bowl with a defense that could take the football away, but they bled yards and points. Aaron Rodgers doesn't have a great supporting cast. Maybe this year now he does, but hasn't of late had a great supporting cast, and yet he makes... His team and his coach look so good. Ben's never been a guy who's had to carry the team. In the early portion of his career, he always had a defense that carried it, and he was able to make plays at the end of the game on third downs in crucial situations to get them wins. Recently, Ben's been very good, but I think it's been Le'Veon Bell's team. 147 yards per game two years ago when they were 4-5. and five. Steelers didn't lose the rest of the way. 126 yards per game last year after the Steelers were 3-2. and two, Only lost once down the stretch. I think that he's had help there, hasn't had to carry the team. Now the running game's not there. He's not on the same page with Antonio Brown. And he's 36 years old, so why all of a sudden is he going to start to learn how to carry a freaking football team? This is not a good team. If they can get something going in the running game, if Ben can figure it back out with Antonio Brown, if they can get a stop here and there on defense, then they could push themselves to playoff contention. But right now, I don't think that they're the best team in the AFC North. I don't think they're the second best team in the AFC North. I think they're clearly behind Baltimore and Cincinnati, who look like complete football teams. And right now, I think Cleveland's playing a little bit better football. Cleveland gave themselves a chance to win on the road, and Oakland should have won that game. In fact, it was a terrible referee call late in the game, which we'll get to in the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun brought to you by To Be Determined. But they had a chance on the road to win that football game. They should have won that football game, and they would be ahead of the Steelers in the standings had they won that football game. Pittsburgh's on life support playoff-wise. And Mark Caballi said earlier on in the show they're going to Cincinnati in a couple of weeks, and... Usually they play well in Cincinnati. Can't remember the last time they lost in Cincy. Yeah, but when's the last time Cincinnati's been clearly better than Pittsburgh? Because right now they clearly are. So I think you throw the records from the past out in that one. Cincinnati fleeced Baltimore. Baltimore fleeced the Steelers. Steelers tied with the Browns. I ain't feeling great about the playoff chances right now. Now, this is a great tweet from Chris, at underscore Adam Crowley. 7-8-1, seriously? 
They're on track for four wins. That guy gets it. I mean, seven, eight, and one looks optimistic when you look at the schedule, does it not? Atlanta comes to town, and why would I believe they're going to win that game? It's first 50, right? Oh, you think Atlanta's good, Tom? I, no. Or bad, mean, Tom? Atlanta's, they're one and three. Okay. They're kind of trash right now, right? Yes, but do you... But, ex- they've, been, but they've been they've been trash, but look a little better than the Steelers have been trash. Do you I, know what I mean? I think they are NFC Pittsburgh. But they've looked a little better doing it. You know what I mean? Like, they're going up and down the field and putting up points every week. There's yes. no, like, lull in the offense. Right. It's just the defense is injured. So you get a couple of stops... If the Steelers' offense is inconsistent whatsoever, you're going to lose that game. Yeah, you're probably right. So, to me, Atlanta's disappointed as much as Pittsburgh has in the NFC, except they've got legitimate reason because they're banged up. The Steelers, yeah, they don't have Le'Veon Bell, but you'd still think the offense would be good enough to put points on the board, not get shut out in the second half of back-to-back games for the first time since the medieval times. The Huns were barreling down from Mongolia the last time the Steelers didn't score in the Second half and back-to-back games. And then you've got Cincinnati. Then you got Cleveland who's playing good football. Then you got Carolina after the bye week. None of those games are going to be easy. Steelers got to get back to basics. Steelers got to simplify their game plan. Steelers have to come up with an identity. Try to shorten the game for the defense. But there's a lot of room to improve, and I don't know how quickly they can make those improvements. Maybe the most concerning thing with the offense, beyond their inability to run the football, is, man, we're just not seeing Ben and A.B. on the same page. A.B. said after the game, I can't throw the ball to myself. Oh, boy. First drive of the game, Ben bounces one to A.B. Two-third downs in the second half showed that A.B. and Ben aren't in sync. He threw the back shoulder fade in the Tampa Bay game. These dudes have not been in rhythm all year long. And it seems like it's been the worst when the game's on the line in third downs. Possession downs. And I can't help but think there'd be a little bit more space out there if Le'Veon Bell was playing. I can't help but think if the defense had to key on that guy like the New England Patriots were planning on the AFC Championship game and then switch their game plan to have a couple of guys over the top of A-B. I can't help but think if it were like that it is like that. I can't help but think that Cleveland has a different game plan in week one if Le'Veon Bell's playing. Kid from Michigan said so much. The safety that plays out in East Kabumbly. Coming up next, the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun brought to you by To Be Determined. And I'll say some things that'll make us all happy. I hope. I think. We need it. It's Crowley Show. The Adam Crowley Show. I've never felt so alive until now. On ESPN Pittsburgh, the iHeartRadio app. So much negativity out there surrounding these Pittsburgh Steelers. And for good reason. I mean, it's not a good football team right now. And I was saying going into the weekend, I feel a lot better about where the Steelers are, right? Because the AFC, you didn't really see much separation. Well, that's because there are only three games. Now after four games, we're starting to see 
good teams separate themselves. Teams that we thought were good pull themselves back into the race a little bit. And when you look at the standings in the AFC, well, the Steelers, they're quite a ways down the list right now, are they not? Here are the teams with a better record than Pittsburgh. And if you include tiebreakers, Cleveland's also on the list. KC, Cincinnati, Miami, Tennessee, Baltimore, Jacksonville, Denver, New England, Los Angeles, Cleveland. Ten teams ahead of the Pittsburgh Steelers. It doesn't mean that the Steelers have an insurmountable path to the playoffs. But it does scare me a little bit. I mean, the Chargers and the Patriots are two of those teams, and both of them... They have as much talent as anybody in the conference. Denver, I think, falls back down to earth. But Jacksonville, Baltimore, Tennessee, Cincinnati, Kansas City, I believe in all of those teams. Steelers have an uphill battle to climb. And their schedule is not easy. Falcons, Bengals, Browns, Ravens, Panthers, Jags, Broncos, Chargers, Raiders, Patriots, Saints, Bengals. All those teams could beat Pittsburgh. I mean, hell, the Steelers tied the Browns. You go on the road to Oakland, you really feel confident about that one? I'm not saying they can't win it, but you feel confident about it? How about on the road at New Orleans? Just mark that one down in L right now. They're going to put up 75 points. This is a must-win game against the Falcons. Even the record at 2-2-1. Then you're only a half game behind where you were last year at 3-2. and And you could preach that to your guys in the locker room. And you can make that push in the second half after the bye week, which is coming up in just a few weeks. I said that I would give you some things to be positive about after last night's game. I didn't really help that there, did I? Really didn't help it there. I didn't make you feel any better. Here is something that will make you feel better. Penguins open up on Thursday. Yeah, baby! A real franchise with a legitimate chance to contend for a championship. It'll be nice to be able to sprinkle in some of that throughout the year. Because the way things are going, this Steelers team... Going to make for a pretty darn difficult fall and winter. Got this tweet from Richard Iroshevich. Whoa. Gesundheit. Add underscore Adam Crowley. You're missing a key component of the Steelers' issues. Coaching. Yeah. That is a big issue right now. The defensive coordinator, Keith Butler, decided not to blitz at all in the second half and just allow Joe Flacco to pick them apart. Death by a thousand cut style. I would bring a little bit more pressure. Yeah, you'll give up some big plays. You give up big plays anyhow. I think it helps to be able to create some chaos. Maybe get to the quarterback. Maybe force a few bad throws. Maybe get him behind the chains, create some negative plays. Maybe blow up some... Runners on the way to the quarterback. To me, that's the best way to go about it. I bring up West Virginia here as an analogy. A couple of years ago, second year, third year, whatever year it was in the Big 12 for them, they were just giving up a bunch of plays. They weren't turning the football over, and they were giving up like 50 points a game. So what they decided to do was, instead of trying to tackle the catch, instead of trying to stop giving up the big play, let's just bring everyone couple times a game. Let's blitz the bejesus out of people. Create some chaos. Create turnovers. Create some negative plays that way. And hey, maybe we'll actually win a football game or two. 
That's what I think the Steelers need to do. They're giving up big plays on the back end anyhow. I think Keith Butler needs to get back in the lab and start designing some blitzes, start getting after the damn quarterback. I think Baltimore coached circles around them last night. They had the tight end in the guard position on the offensive line, in the unbalanced line. He comes across the field. John Bostick's like, damn, what am I going to do here? No one knew who was supposed to cover him. No one probably even noticed it. And the referee dude, whoever it is on ESPN that they employ to not be interesting at all when it comes to refereeing, he said, oh, it should have been a penalty. But they probably wouldn't have realized it in real time. I don't know if I would have realized it in real time. Okay, great. Good for you to not do your freaking job. But I think Baltimore kind of banks on that a little bit, right? Kind of like what they did with the tackle eligibles, offensive lineman eligibles a couple of years ago against the Patriots in the playoffs. Or I think it was the Patriots who did it to them. I don't know. A lot of beer, a lot of weed in my life. Can't remember things like that. But I think the Ravens totally outcoached the Steelers. Totally outcoached. The Steelers had one less day to prepare. I think Baltimore took advantage of that. They used Lamar Jackson a bunch. And the Steelers' defense has enough trouble communicating as is. There was a couple of plays where you had Artie Burns having a stand near the boundary covering Joe Flacco. It makes the Steelers' defense have to think. It gets the Steelers' defense in some respects to declare. And, well, then we see Baltimore take full advantage. Steelers had 10 men on the field at one point. Probably would have been a touchdown had that got the playoff. Next play, Steelers coming in with 12 guys on the field, get penalized. Total confusion, total coaching ridiculousness. And Mike Tomlin has tried to shake the staff up a little bit. Cornell Lake gone, Tom Bradley in. I think you need to get rid of Joey Porter. I wanted them to do that last year. You're not seeing the development from the outside linebackers. T.J. Watt has not been noticeable since game number one. Coaching staff's just not great right now. Danny Smith's drawn up a couple of nice plays to almost block a couple of kicks. He's really good at scheming punt block scenarios, right? But far too many penalties leading into last night's game in that regard. They just don't look like a well-coached team right now. And Tomlin's not going anywhere, so let's not have that conversation. But if the Steelers' defense looks this bad the rest of the year, I do think it would be time to have that conversation about Keith Butler. What time is it, Tom? And now it's time for the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun. Brought to you by To Be Determined. Tyler Eifert broke his ankle. It was awful. It was Kendall. It was Theismann. It was not good. Tom, did you see the replay of that by any chance? I actually missed it, and then when everybody kept telling me about how gross it is and how it's like one for the ages, I I just put it off. I'm not going to see it. I'm just going to go my life without seeing it. See, you are the opposite of my wife. She needs to see that thing. Yes. You tell her it's gross, and she's like, oh, I got to see it now. She was upstairs today doing her hair. I was on the couch watching Good Morning Football. I couldn't believe that they showed it again. And I went, ugh! She said, what happened? I said, they just showed the Tyler Eifert injury. She sprinted down the stairs and made me rewind the thing. Ooh. Yeah, she's nasty. Who was the kid from Louisville whose leg Kevin came out? Yeah. That was Easter Sunday. I, I was watching that lot. Disgusting. Yeah, she watched that multiple times over. Did Eifert's bone come out? It didn't, but ugh. his 
ankle was dangling. Oh, no. That's, that stuff just doesn't appeal to me. I, I don't get the people like your wife that need to see that stuff. I needed to see it once. I feel, I feel like I'm in that same boat, but like I said, there was so much time that passed with the Eifer thing and so much talk about just how gross it was that it was like, you know what, I'm done. I don't need to see this. Have you ever seen Theismann's? Oh, yeah. You saw Zach Miller's last year, too, right? Oh, oh God. That guy, you're saying that guy might not be able to walk again or lose his leg. Football's dangerous, man. It really is, which brings me to the next point. Get these guys some mother-flipping guaranteed contracts. I put that out on Twitter.com today because the Texas Tech quarterback in the Dub V game collapsed his lung. Guy's got one working lung right now. What are we doing, football? And there was a high school kid that died of a brain injury over the weekend. If players are willing to go out there and literally risk life and limb, you got to make the contracts guaranteed. And if not for the millionaires, how about for the hundred thousandaires, right? For the guys who break into the league, they're a special teams player. It's the only way that they're going to be able to make their living in the National Football League. And if they get hurt for a year, they'll get placed on IR. But if you're making $600,000, you're on IR. The next year, if you start the season and you're not able to get out there on the football field, whatever team it is, is going to cut you. And if you're that kind of player, a 50 through 53rd back end of the roster kind of guy, you're not probably getting another chance if you're battling back from injuries that much. So it's for them. And it's not like the Steelers need to keep you on the 53 in my perfect world. But they should still pay you when your ass is out on the couch after you've horrifically injured your ankle. I do feel bad for Tyler Eifert, too. This is a guy who has been injury-prone throughout his career, and this had nothing to do with that. Your leg's not supposed to snap that way. It wasn't his fault. It's not that he's injury-prone or soft. It's that his very hard bone cracked in half because a big dude landed on him. And Cincinnati was rolling. He was making plays. He got a touchdown in that game. Fingers crossed everything works out, and he gets another opportunity here in the National Football League. Earl Thomas got hurt. And Le'Veon Bell hopped up into his Instagram. The Menchie's there. And what's he say? Something along the lines of, I'll keep doing what's unpopular because it's what needs to happen. Uh, This goes along the lines of guaranteed contracts. But there's nothing that Le'Veon can do now that's going to change the CBA. It's conversations that are going to happen within the meeting room during the bargaining agreement that are really going to make the difference. And if I'm NFL players, I say F the weed. I say F the kneeling during the anthem stuff. Honestly, screw the unilateral power conversations you're going to have surrounding Roger Goodell and instead say, please guarantee my contract. And I would honestly, if I'm an NFL player, be willing to say, we'll play 18 games if you just guarantee our contract contracts for the full 18 game if you guarantee the contracts yes we'll play more yes i'll allow myself perhaps to get maimed and severely injured for later on in life but please almighty just give me guaranteed money so i don't get put out on my ass after a year after ir the colts went for it on fourth down trying to go for the win in overtime 
from their 35-yard line. And they don't get it because Andrew Luck's got a noodle arm. He loved it, though. They didn't get it. They set the Texans up in their own territory for the win. They kicked the field goal and won. But I think it sent a good message to the locker room that they'll go for it under Frank Reich. I don't think that this means that they say a tie's as bad as a loss. No. I think it's that we're one and two. If you go one, two, and one, it doesn't really help you. You go one and three, yeah, it hurts. But if we can get ourselves to two and two, we're right back in the thick of this in a division where Jacksonville ain't running away from anyone at three and one. Tennessee ain't running away from anyone at three and one. I loved it. They're getting crushed nationally for it. I like the attempt. Baker Mayfield came back down to earth. Two interceptions, one return for a touchdown. Two fumbles, both recovered by the opposition. But he did enough to win that game. They converted a third down late in the game that the referees deemed that they didn't convert. Had they converted, there was about a minute 30 left on the clock. Time would have run out. They could have run the clock out. They'd have won the game. Instead, Oakland gets the ball. They come down and score, get the two-point conversion, go to overtime and win it there. Cleveland got fleeced. Now, you can't give up the eight points on the drive, right? But they got fleeced. And the Bengals, they're legitimately good. How about the Patriots? They were the lock of my week to lose, right? I said, Miami's coming in. It's the first opportunity to beat Tom Brady on the road for any division team since 2006. They're going to do it. They're better than the Patriots today, and the Patriots will make the playoffs eventually, but today is the day that they will rue the day they play the Miami Dolphins, and they beat them by 31 points. Patriots are back. Coming up next, Stan said earlier today that the Steelers don't have an identity. I have a pretty darn good idea what their identity is. I'll tell you what that is next, Crowley Show.